Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to the Foolishness Podcast. Hope you've been getting encouraged. Some cool guests on lately unpacking some truth and encouraging. And today we're going to jump into this sermon I just preached at our church that really encouraged me. This amazing sermon about this older gentleman, the Apostle Paul, who faces some hard times, but he talks about forgiveness and he talks about the strength of the Lord. And all of us walk through that. We need to forgive others and be forgiven at times. We need to humble ourselves and walk in love so that the Holy Spirit can move amidst brothers and sisters and even those in the world. But also, while Paul is being abandoned and accused, he talks about the strength of the Lord. And so I'm going to unpack this for us. It'll encourage us. Thank you for sharing and getting it out. Appreciate you all. Here we go. Lord Zacchaeus climbed a tree to encounter you, and blind Bartimaeus cried out. The woman with the issue reached out to touch your garments, and Lord, what do your people need to hear tonight? We're going to unpack your word. You are going to speak, but Lord, I pray you minister to souls. Thank you, God, for the cross, for your son, for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and say, Amen. Well, guys, thank you for enduring the heat. If you have your Bibles, go over to 2 Timothy 4, and this message is kind of about enduring. Not just the heat, but the Apostle Paul speaks about running the race, finishing well, and keeping the faith. Whether you've been with us or not for the last few months, we've been in this series, what, six or seven weeks, a new series next week. But why is this amazing? And I've got to challenge you. Sometimes you want a sermon to be topical. And is the guy funny and is it relevant and do I laugh enough times? But we've got to realize what we are reading tonight is from the Apostle Paul, a father of the faith, to a beloved son, Timothy. This man is about to die soon to be martyred and he is writing something so relevant to him that all of us should be able to glean from. Amen? An older man writing to a son, he is in jail, It is cold, it is damp, he is suffering, he is alone. And as I've said, he's fought the good fight, he's finishing well, he's running the race. This is his last letter. We are going to read the words, the final words of the Apostle Paul. How crazy is this? Is that for 1900 years, his words have been ministering. For 1,900 years, the things he has said have been speaking to Christians. Yes, he's anointed by God. Yes, he's filled with the Spirit. But this man has been ministering to culture. So what is he saying to us tonight? What is he saying to you in your life? God led you here. Here's a funny sounding English guy. Amen. What does the Lord want to say to you? And how open is your heart to receive from God? So 2 Timothy 4.9. Remember, this is an older man speaking to a beloved son. And he knows he's going to pass away soon. He says in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me great deal of harm, but the Lord will repay him for what he has done. And you too should be on guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me and may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. 
Eubulus greet you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. We had a guest speaker at church this morning. How many of you guys were there? And he said he was thankful to fill in for Pastor Andrew, who's been away for almost six weeks. He'll be back next week with a new series. But that guest preacher said, man, what do you pull out of this? He's basically greeting a few people. He says, bring my coat. Hey, these guys did me wrong. What can we possibly pick out of these verses? Well, here's what's crazy. This is written by the Apostle Paul. And I don't know if we really realize how famous the Apostle Paul is. Even you as a believer saying, no, Brian, I get who he is. I mean, I grew up an unbeliever playing on the grounds of churches called St. Paul. I mean, St. Paul, Minnesota, Minneapolis, amen? Brazil, Sao Paulo. Paul is ministered about all over the world. If you go to college, if you go to university, you can read all about a guy called Saul of Tarsus, but suddenly he encounters Jesus and you hear of no more. It's the same Paul. Paul was a man of God. He was fivefold ministry, meaning he was an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. But yet this man who gave us 13 epistles, maybe 14, this man who knew the word of God inside out, had walked with the risen Christ, what's the first thing he says? Do your best to come to me quickly. Even this man that has felt the presence, the power of God, knew doctrine so well, he's alone in prison and he needs fellowship and he needs comfort. Yes, he's anointed by God, but he's just a man. You could say this is just a woman, someone, and why am I saying this? Because if you've been around the church for any amount of time, we have these sayings. The church is not a building, and that's true. The church is not a building. The church is a bunch of believers, you and me, the body of Christ. Amen? But when someone says the church is not a building, you have to ask the question, what is the goal in that statement? Why do you want to avoid meeting? Why do you want to avoid gathering? Why do you want to avoid fellowshipping? Who wounded you? Who said this or thought this or what is it that caused you to be different? Because the book of Hebrews tells us this. We're to gather together so as to what? Stir up love. Hebrews 10.25, listen. Let us not neglect gathering together. As some have made a habit, meaning guys, some people don't want to gather. They don't want a fellowship. They've been burned here. They've been burned there. Don't do this as some are doing. That's as plain as it is. And he even goes on and says, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. He's literally saying, Branches Church, Brian, whatever your name is, as you see the day of the Lord approaching, don't stop gathering. When you come in here with your baggage and your issues and your struggles, and we've all got them, amen, get in some fellowship, get in some prayer, press into the presence of God. And not only is Paul saying this, Paul doesn't just want to see him to see him, but if he doesn't see Timothy again, Timothy, who's the pastor in Ephesus, remember, the young guy that he loves and is raising up. If he doesn't see him again, he won't see him this side of eternity. These are his final words. And what does he say in verse 10? He's told us, I want to see you again. And then he brings out someone and puts him on the rug. He says, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas was someone that walked with Paul, that loved Jesus, that was following a call, and suddenly he's abandoned Paul. We know from the prior text, if you've read any of this, that many people abandoned Paul. Guys, get this. Paul's in prison for being a Christian. Some of you who are younger, back in the day, people were killed and persecuted for believing in Jesus. It is still going on to this day. But many of the believers who walked with Paul, who showed up to our fellowships, they abandoned him. Why did Demas abandon him? And we're going to unpack this for a moment. Demas abandoned me because he loved the world. When you read that, what do you think? Is this like some Will Ferrell thing, you know, out of Elf where he's in love with Zoe? I love her and I don't care who knows it. Is he just skipping around outside saying, I love the world? No, it's way deeper than that. This man, walk with me, walk with you, had scars and wounds, have been chased. They tried to be killed. All kinds of things were happening. Yet this guy withdrew. Bible says that he left because of his love for the world and he fled to Thessalonica. Theologians would tell us that Thessalonica was probably a safe haven. That at this time you could flee back to your hometown. Perhaps he was born there. 
Brian, I don't want to deal with the persecution. I don't want to gather in this little room. I don't want to deal with your voice for an hour on a Sunday. I don't want to deal with raising support or being persecuted. I don't want to deal with all of this. Demas, you're fleeing back to Thessalonica. You're going back to the world. Yeah, I don't want persecution. What Demas wanted was what? Comfort and satisfaction. Basically, by today's standards, what? Netflix and chill. Demas just wanted to chime in. Leave me alone. I mean, I'm the one up here sweating my brains out, amen? But the reality is this. Haven't we seen this picture somewhere else? Haven't we seen this picture where someone has come to faith and suddenly they've gone back into the world? And what do I mean by that? Well, the Old Testament, there's a famous story, and you know it. The story of Israel. Israel is in bondage to the world for 400 years, and they're crying out to God. And after 400 years, we see they are delivered and set free. That's a picture of the world. Brian, who was once divorced, suicidal, hated God. You've been delivered and redeemed. But what did Israel do? They were led out into the wilderness. And what did God give them, which he's given all of us? He gave them responsibility. Now that I've delivered you and set you free that you may worship me, I want to lead you into the promised land. There's things for you to do. But what does the Bible show us about Israel? That when they had responsibility, they had things to do. They didn't want to do that. They got mad at Moses. They didn't want to listen to God. They said, we're going to go back to Egypt, back enslaved, back to the things of the world. And that famous saying, it's one thing for God to lead you out of Egypt but it's another thing altogether to take Egypt out of Israel. All that Demas did, Paul tells us, was he went back to the world. He went back to that past. He went back to that phone number. He went back to that experience. What does the Bible say? That a dog returns to its vomit. He went back to what was comfortable. And how do we understand this? Well, the Gospels are the story of Jesus delivering many people. He shows up to this famous story of the woman at the well. And what does he tell her? He points out where she is, that she's had five husbands, and for her to go back to the world, what would she be returning to? A sixth or seventh husband. She needs more men, more attention, more affection. We were to go deeper, what about the tax collectors? Well, they're going to continue ripping people off, taking advantage. What even about the prostitutes? Was it the lewd and crude acts? Or was it even that they were trying to make money other ways than godly ways? Even the woman caught in the act of adultery. This spirit of deception, lust and power, control of her spouse. These are all ways you could say we're attaining to a place of vomit. I want to focus even for a moment on the rich young ruler. Rich man, all the money. And he shows up to Jesus with an amazing question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What have I got to do? How do I get to heaven? Help me understand your teaching. And what does Jesus say, Matthew 19, 21? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What he's saying is follow me because if you follow Jesus, you're following God. Amen. He's not saying it's worked. But then what does it say in verse 22? When the young man heard this, he went away in sorrow, meaning he was sad, because he had great wealth. This guy came to Jesus, what must I do? And he said, abandon this, let go of this. This is what has your heart. This is the world for you. And notice Jesus, who normally doesn't say anymore, could have stopped preaching right there. But he doesn't. There's something he wants us to know. He says this in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, That means, church, listen. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, meaning I really want you to get this. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Is this about wealth? Is it about the kingdom? Look at what they say, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished because they must have thought this guy's wealthy. He can buy a big church in Huntington. He can put out all the flyers. He's going to have the best this and the best that. This is just a God sent. No. Jesus wanted to address the truth. They said to Jesus in verse 25, who then can be what? Saved. It was about the man's heart. And Jesus, verse 26, looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Demas was going back to the world, his heart wasn't changed, and Jesus is bringing up to them this picture of the heart. What is it that's impossible for man? That someone can be born again. 
that you can be transformed from where our focus is, is to the things of God. And here's what we need to hear from the Apostle Paul and that God is showing us is that true believers really will be bent towards the will of God. And I'm saying some crazy stuff right now, Brian. Where are you going with this? True believers, we really will have this conviction because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they what? Follow me. You can preach back. Anyone getting tired with all this weather? Amen. They hear and they follow him. Guys, think about that sermon on the Beatitudes, the most famous sermon. Presidents quote it, we hear it all the time, Matthew 5, 6, 7. All these beautiful things that Jesus said, but one of the verses that spoke to me when I first came to faith, right there in that sermon on the hillside, Matthew 7 in the Bible, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, meaning they call him Lord, they view him as Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute, Jesus, what are you saying? Only the one who does the what? The will. Isn't that a random statement? Is it about believing or doing the will? Isn't it about believing? It is. Because if God did a work in your heart and your birth into the kingdom, you no longer have the old nature. What? The old passes away, all things become. So what do you mean, Jesus? It's only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This word will in the Greek, Thelema. This, by the way, is the heart of the Satanic Bible. Jay-Z has a clothing company called Thelema, thy will, in opposition of God. There's some conspiracy stuff for you. It's true. Look it up. What he's saying is, many are going to call me Lord, but only those who do the will. How did I get here? The apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in jail saying, Demas was walking good. He was running the race. But you know what? He went back to Thessalonica, back to the world. Is it possible that why China and Muslim nations look at America as a lukewarm Christian nation at times is because this is the kind of Christianity we've had preached for years? You've heard me say, I didn't hear the gospel till I was over living. I had to seek it out myself. Yet we live in a place that is full of churches. What do I mean? Brian, why are you going on about the world? Listen to this. 1 John 2.15, two believers. Do not love the world, and this is the word cosmos, Do not love all of this and be entertained and satisfied and caught up in all of this. Enjoy your life. Go on bike rides. Love one another. Have fun. Yes. But John is writing, do not love the world or anything in the world. Remember, Demas is left for the love of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in them. For everything in the world, and he lists, guys, listen. These are the three issues we face in humanity. He lists the three things that Eve saw in the tree. He lists the three things that Jesus was tempted with in Matthew 4. This is what the world throws at you. The lust of the flesh. I have to have that. I have to experience that. I've got to go do this. I'm going to build my kingdom to that. The lust of the eyes. I've seen that and it's got to be mine. All the things that are sold to us every day. And then what does he say? And the pride of life. Look at me and what I'm achieving and what I'm doing and what I'm about. Demas fled because he loved the whale. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to be persecuted. He was caught up in all these things. And he goes on. This isn't me. This is the Bible. Amen. This comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and all its desires will pass away. And look what he says. But whoever does the what? There's that sentence again. Whoever does the thelema, the will of God, lives forever. This is not just spiritual, but physical. Paul tells us, don't be conformed to the pattern of this will, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of my mind. Did I come to faith at 24? Did the Holy Spirit move inside of me? Is God bending me to live towards his kingdom? Or am I caught up and distracted by this world? Let me ask us, if we could all take a break and in three months... We've been gifted whatever we want our lives to look like. What would it look like? Would my life more look like I want it to look? Or would it more look like what God has for me? The issue isn't you work towards God. It's that one, when God saves you, nothing else will really satisfy you. Nothing else will really do it for you. Those songs, though they're amazing, will not sound the same. That bank account won't look as it's as good as it did because it's passing away even all those experiences I'm saying that to say Lord if this is me and you could give me the world I want would it look more like your will or more like I want it to look for me 
He says, only those who do the will of God. And I don't know how familiar you are with one of these old school preachers I used to listen to, Paul Washer. You guys ever heard of him? Old school guy, kind of trouts on feet, really serious. And he has this amazing testimony. That he was a missionary who went to other countries as a young man, living out the will of God. And if you listen for him, to him for too long, you kind of feel like, whoa, he's telling me off. But he kind of goes with that, with that challenging, confrontational message. But he met a woman in another country on mission. And they were married. She was raised in the faith. So she'd be here tonight. She'd be hanging out. She, she knew the verses, knew the songs in and out. But about eight or nine years in, after sitting under his preaching over and over and over, as he unpacks the human heart, sin, death, resurrection, the will of God, she's weeping in the altar afterwards and saying, I've been living my life all these years. I don't think I was born again. I don't think I really knew the Lord. I don't think I really had fellowship. I think Christianity was just a part of my life to lead me around the world. And here's my husband and things are good. But at that moment, she came to faith. Why am I saying this? This sounds crazy to some of you. Brian, where are you going? I just came to hang out. We're bros. James 4. He says, adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world, he's not saying don't love people, don't go places, don't do things. But what he's saying is, remember, the Apostle Paul about to be killed in Rome is saying this dude bailed because he loved the world so much. His life wasn't laid down. He wasn't ready to live out the will of God. He abandoned them. And even when it says he deserted and forsook us, that's what it means. They're coming in the door right now and guess what? You're out of here. You don't want nothing to do with it. Your life isn't laid down for the things of God. And I'm going to give us one more verse on this into the next point. But listen, everything Jesus spoke about, you can find elsewhere in the Bible. If you say, Brian, where are you going with this? What's the parable of the sower? That you cast the word of God and there's four ways it lands on the heart. But only one really hears and bears that fruit. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 20, and tell me if this applies at all to where Paul is. He said, this seed fell on rocky ground. It refers to someone who hears the word and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. They might have gone on mission with Paul. They might have showed up in church. They might have been excited. He says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Paul's whole message is they've abandoned me because we're being persecuted, because we're preaching the what? Word of God. But once they show up to the door, well, Brian's preaching tonight. Maybe they're going to show up and capture some of us. I'm not down for that. Maybe someone's going to be carted off. I'm not ready for that. We want to be so spirit-filled, and so many of these great ministries are so about the Spirit of God, but we need to realize the Spirit of God was given to help us as well. Not just in the miraculous, not just in our marriages and raising kids or when we miss it, amen, but to lead us through crazy radical times like being an apostle, sitting in prison, writing to a young man. And he says in verse 22 that the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, Demas didn't want to be persecuted, and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes out the word, making it unfruitful. Paul's saying, I'm in prison. I want to see you soon. Demas has bailed on me. And he lists some of his friends here, Crescents, we hear about nowhere else. He talks about Titus, who is like a Timothy. He says, only Luke is with me. And then, guys, if you want to catch something from this message, he says something amazing. Sounds so simple, but he says, Mark, bring him with you. This is Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark, John Mark the cousin of Barnabas. This is Mark who went on a mission with Paul. We've just heard about Demas fleeing the mission and now John Mark went on a mission with Paul and there was conflict. There was something they didn't like. There was an immaturity. John Mark left and Paul said, no more. John Mark and his cousin Barnabas, they broke off and had their own mission. Yet here in prison years later, what is Paul doing? He's saying, bring Mark. He's saying there's grace and mercy. He's saying this guy really was bent towards the will of God. That means that in your life, when you miss it, stop trying to be perfect and holy. Amen? The Bible says be holy because I am holy, but that implies a leaning towards the Lord. 
when you struggle, when you face hard times, press in and get back into the purposes and the will of God. Amen? Why would, amen? Why was Paul so focused on Mark? And this speaks to me. He said, because he was helpful to me in my ministry. When I hear a verse like that, I say, Lord, can I be helpful to anyone in their ministry? In the middle of our day, wherever we are right now, if I really believe Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life, and he that is above is above all, not just in church, not just with a sermon and a microphone and some friends hanging out on a pretty sweaty day, but Lord, if I really believe you are Lord, can I really do whatever you say? Could I sell my home in California? Could I go to another nation? Could I abandon the hobbies and the pastimes and the things that have defined who I am? But Lord, I love living by the ocean, and I do, amen? I don't want to move away from Dakota and Cameron, who are possibly going to have kids in the next few years, huh, bud? Amen? <laughs> or Lord, are you really going to send me back to Liverpool? No, God, amen? What I'm saying is, can I really be this reckless with my life and saying, Lord, whatever you need me to do, if the Apostle Paul was alive today, Brian, I feel the Lord is leading us here. Am I bound to Huntington? Am I bound to branches? Am I bound to my identity? Or can I really trust in the Lord with all these things? Because he's saying, I need to hang out with you. Demas has bailed on me. Please bring Mark so we can hang out in fellowship before I pass. And then he goes even deeper. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, Alexander the metal worker did a great deal of harm. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. And Paul singles out this man, and we don't know why. Is it because he was a metal worker, because he made idols, because people bowed down? Was it as Corey said this past week in the book of Daniel? Because back then, Daniel 5.4, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, like we can still do today. That could have been the reason. But the fact that Paul says... He did me great harm. Sounds like it's more personal. It sounds like this could be the same Alexander who was friends with Hymenaeus from the prior letter who Paul gave over to Satan for blasphemy. And could this guy be the one coming back saying, this is what Paul's doing. This is where Dakota's preaching. This is where Brian's doing this. This is where Sean's doing that. Hey, track him down and crucify him. Kill him. Why am I saying all of this? Because when it says he did me a great deal of harm, in the Greek that word implies he was an informer. Did they have conflict where now he is coming back and remember? Where is Paul writing from? He's in what? What is he awaiting? Death. So he's going to trial. I can preach and pull stuff out of it. It can minister, but we got to get what's happening. This guy is in a cold, damp prison. In fact, one of the commentators literally said it was dank. How often have you heard that word anymore? Amen. That was dank. I think you used to prank call people and say, can I buy your dank truck, right? But the point is that this has taken place. And what is he saying? He's saying they were bowing down to these things. This did this great deal of harm for me. And what does he say after this guy's wronged him? He says, but the Lord will repay him for what he has done. I'm not offended. I'm not wound up by you. I'm not holding on to by what was said or what was taking place or all the things that happened, even though I'm in prison, probably because of this guy, because of his accusation, because of the gospel, I'm going to release it and the law will repay him, which to me is kind of scary. People say all the time, you know, only God can judge me. You ever heard that? It's like tattooed here, only God can judge you. But how many of you guys realize it's not good that God is going to judge people, Amen. God judged them in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. They were kicked out of the garden. They died. For you and me, alive before we were Christian, we've been judged. John 3.18 says we're already guilty. How is the only way we can escape judgment? Being born again. Alexander should be thanking Paul that he is ministering the truth, ministering the gospel, but instead, what is he doing? He's getting him in prison. He's tearing him down. All these things are happening. What is he saying? What's amazing is that Paul is sitting in prison, not offended by this guy, not causing Timothy to come after him and do him wrong and take advantage. And what does he say in verse 15? You should be on guard against him. And I want to say this to us. This next generation, guys, we have to be aware of the crazy preaching and doctrines that can enter the church. Amen. 
20 years ago, this whole like Pentecostal idea of touch not God's anointed. If I am preaching whack stuff tonight, you should be emailing the elders right away. Amen. If I am doing stuff that is not biblical, I should be accountable to you. And this generation where people could just preach whatever, say whatever, it is dangerous. There's books I would say, do not read. Sermons I would say, don't go after. Churches I would say, don't go be a part of. He's telling Timothy, mark this guy, be aware of this guy. Why? You should be on guard against him because of what? He opposed our message. Because he was getting in the way of the gospel, he was getting in the way of God's grace and mercy and love. If I am preaching something else that does not bring you to the cross and you can be redeemed, I am an enemy of the kingdom of God. Amen. He's telling them this is what it is. And listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Paul says that as believers, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Part of being a minister isn't just reading the word of God. Part of being a Christian isn't just showing up and doing whatever. It's knowing the things of God. It's speaking truth over family members who are maybe running after the occult or hate God. It's giving an account of the faith we have. Amen. And look at what Paul does. Where is he right now? He's in where? Okay, and what's happened so far? Listen to verse 16. Now you'll catch this. He says, at my first defense, no one came to support me but everyone deserted me. You get in trouble with the police, you show up to court, what do we call that? Trial, hearing, and arraignment. This is his arraignment. Paul is showing up to a Roman court, they want to kill him, he shows up, he's looking for brothers and sisters in the faith who are going to testify or stand for him, and he simply says at my first defense, no one showed up. If you're tracking this letter, I started by saying we are enduring this weather. We are enduring this heat. All of Paul's letters have been about him struggling and enduring the craziness of this world. He said, no one came to support me. And I've got to tell you, as believers, if you are planted in a church, in a community, you are going to see people struggle. And I want to challenge us all with this. We might be rosy and doing well today. Life could be going good. But many people abandon Paul. What do I mean by this? I mean that in this situation, Paul over any people could have bailed. Paul could have said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to tell you how whack branches is or that Brian guy or whatever it is. The church did me wrong. No one showed up to my trial. No one did this. No one did that. But he didn't. I sat with a couple a few weeks ago who when COVID hit, shook them by some minor things in the church and they were so distanced. I said, no guys, though you're going to find people in the church, you are hypocritical. The best thing about the church is the people, amen? And the worst thing about the church is the people, amen? I mean, hang out with yourself all day. I was telling them, guys, don't hold on to this. Let go of it. Don't abandon it. It isn't about branches. It isn't about Calvary. It isn't about a church. It's are you planted with believers? Can you find people that will love on you and be tough, tough on you and hold you accountable? Amen. A couple of friends a few years ago who were amazing, newly married, great life, all kinds of ministry. He ran off and did something crazy. And even this week, something showing up on my feed that I never wanted to see of hair and the things are going through. I'm like, Lord, I know what it does to me. It makes me say, Lord, people might seem to be struggling with you. But ask yourself right now, what is it that would cause you to abandon your call? What would cause me to abandon my call? Is it something to do with my wife? Is it something to do with my kids? Is it feelings of depression, feelings of suicide? Is it chasing identity? Well, Brian, you were a skater, and now you're this minister, and you know, watch your third act. Is that what it is? Is it struggling with the world or people turning on you? What is it that for me is going to call me to abandon my call? What do you do when someone abandons you, accuses you, or tears you down? What does the Apostle Paul say when this is going on? He says, Timothy, come and hang out. Demas has abandoned me for the world. Alexander has opposed me. Mark, I wish you would come and hang out. But you know, all the craziness that's happened, listening to the Apostle Paul, what he says, may it not be held against them. No matter what you do or they do or even we do of ourselves, no, we can't hold on to it. We've got to bring it all to the Lord.
I would love to ask Paul a load of things. Hey, Paul, can you break down tongues for me? Hey, Paul, can you break down giving and tithing exactly? Hey, Paul, what did you mean with this word over here? But when I hear this verse, you know what I want to talk to Paul about? How do you have so much grace and mercy and forgiveness? Have any of you guys ever been put in prison because of another Christian? A dank prison, amen? How many of you guys have just been constantly slandered and attacked and accused and life is crazy? This guy walked with Jesus, was an apostle, could flip these verses inside out. He's forgiving. Why is this amazing to me? Because Paul knew something about forgiveness. Paul, before he was a Christian, what was he? Pharisee. He was a Jew. Hebrew were the Hebrews. Tribe of Benjamin. Paul was a radical mobster. I hope you understand this. This guy was nuts. You didn't want to see him. Paul killed Christians. Paul slayed Christians. Paul went to the leaders to get contracts to come after you, to come after me. They bust in here and they killed us. You want to read how crazy this is? In Acts 22, Paul is telling us what he's telling Jesus about what he's done. Listen to this. It says in 22.19, Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He showed up to Stephen who was being killed with rocks and he hung out with their clothes and he was probably laughing and mocking, thinking he was doing the Lord's work. And he's telling Jesus this once he comes to faith. That's Paul's perspective. You want to hear what Stephen was thinking about? And we're talking about forgiveness. Acts 17 and 59, listen to this. While they were stoning him, he's being killed with rocks. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he what? Fell asleep. That means he died. Lord, do not hold this sin against Paul. He knew who Paul was. He knew who rounded him up. Paul was there while Stephen was being killed. Stephen was there looking into heaven. Lord, I'm praying you forgive this man. When Stephen died, where did he go? When Paul died, where did he go? Do you get how radical that is? The guy who was there laughing while you were killing me with rocks, Paul entered heaven and they embraced each other because of forgiveness. Because those who are forgiven much, what do they do? Love much. And radically you say, Brian, that story is so powerful. I wish I was in it. You are in it. You know what it says in Luke 23, in 33, 34? It says, when Jesus was on the cross, he said what? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He's praying about those who are around him, but that prayer is answered every time someone comes to faith. Forgive Brian, he doesn't know what he's doing. Forgive Alexander when he repents. Forgive Demas, who many theologians believed him back. Forgive you, forgive her, forgive whoever. Paul knew a thing. And so Paul's here in court. Remember, you following me? He's been abandoned. No one's here to testify. I've been to Westminster Court. I've gotten plenty of trouble. I hated going to those places before I was in the Lord BC. Amen. And while I was there, I wanted all the strength I could get, all the help I could get, a lawyer, this, all these scenarios. And what does he say? Because you might feel here today, and you know what? You don't have strength. You feel abandoned. You were like, where does strength come from? Right here in this simple verse in Scripture that we would just blaze right through, listen to the encouragement from the Holy Spirit. While there in the courtroom, verse 17 but the Lord stood at my side and gave me what? He didn't just stand with him. He gave him strength. Doesn't just stand with Brian. He gives me strength. Doesn't just stand with Sean. Gives you strength. Or Dakota, whatever your name is, he gives you strength. And if you don't believe that, how do you think you're standing today? Are you who's fueling your lungs with oxygen? Are you who's pumping blood around your body? Even the greatest minds and scientists say, we have no idea how this all holds together. It was supposedly spinning through space. This should be getting ripped apart by the second. None of it makes sense. 
And if God is holding this together and as God has given me breath and as God has placed you where you are in your life, that means there's a will and call and purpose on your life. And the Apostle Paul knows that. Yes, this is about forgiveness, but it's about enduring. When Paul kills you, pray for him. When Jesus is on the cross, praying for us. He's saying his strength is coming from the Lord. Why? Because God is the potter, we are the clay. You and I are the living letters read by all, written by God. Paul was raised as a Hebrew, knowing verses like Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. The Lord goes with you, never will I what? Leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, for what can mere mortals do to me? He's in court, they're accusing him. There's Alexander maybe, everyone's abandoned me. No one can touch me unless God allows it. I say it all the time, we are invincible till the Lord takes us. And while these accusations are coming, Paul, why is it important that you're strong? Why is it important that you stand? There's one reason, verse 17, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles will hear it. It's important I'm strong because God has got something for me to do. The will of God. Demas has fled from me. Who were the Gentiles Paul was talking about? The very people in the courtroom. I'm at my arraignment. Am I going to be guilty? Am I going to be slayed even this day? But no, I'm praying I'll have the strength to tell you all about my faith so you might even come to faith. And look at what he says. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. We hear that and what he's saying is I was in court and they could have said I was guilty and my call would have been over. But I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I'm back in prison. I'm writing to you. And many have said the lion's mouth pertains to the Colosseum. This wasn't built until three or four years later, so we know that isn't the case. Also, the Apostle Paul is a Roman what? Citizen. So we know he couldn't have been fed to the lions. We could have said, well, this is pertaining to Daniel and the lions then. I get it. God delivered Daniel, but many Christians have been killed by being eaten by lions. Amen. When he says, I was delivered from the lion's mouth, theologians would tell you this is a reference to Satan. This is a reference to who has stirred up Alexander, stirred up fear and doubt in many of so-called believers to abandon Paul. What does Peter tell us? Your what? Adversary? The devil parades around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Have you guys got anyone in your life right now that might be opposed to you? Don't raise up your hand, amen. Peter just said, Brian, your adversary is the devil. When you're prepping a sermon, when you're driving down the road, wherever you're going in life, I don't want to give devil authority because he doesn't compare to God, but what he's saying is he's our adversary. There's assignments, attacks, there's an agenda. The Bible says he's the God of this age. So he has some kind of rule and reign that God allows us to walk through to give God glory. Amen? No big deal. This guy just said, no. That means in my marriage, the enemy wants to sabotage it. If you think about Genesis, Satan didn't even show up until they were married. Amen? In my marriage with my kids, in the community, in wherever we are, the enemy wants to sabotage it. So what do we do? Nothing. It's a nice sermon. It's getting late. Go get some food. No. We take every thought captive and make no room for the flesh. And as Paul has been in the courtroom, as he's now back in the jail cell, what does he say in verse 18? This is our statement. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Though I'm in a dank prison, though I've been abandoned, though people are saying this or that, I am standing on the promises of God because I am going nowhere until the Lord takes me. He's not saying I'm not going to die, but he says this is God's timing. God is the one who is faithful. You ever think about that story of Paul where he's on mission and he puts his hand in the fire to grab the firewood and what bites him? A viper. A viper bites him. There's churches in Texas and Alabama who are playing with all kinds of snakes, amen? When the Bible says they will handle them, they can handle them down there. Don't bring them near me. But the reality is Paul is on mission, so putting his hand in the fire, the fact that God has said you will go to Rome, that viper isn't going to do anything. What I'm saying is in our lives, our call and purposes, you need to start believing God has you in the center of his hand. But I'll say this, 
You were taking notes even mentally today. I know I'm preaching kind of fast. There's three enemies in your life you are going to face. In your life, the world is an enemy. We're born into a cursed world. Our bodies will fail us. People will do things. We will do things that create struggle. But also there are things you are going to choose to do the way you are going to live, you are making choices for, and that's you. If you choose to do this, if you throw a punch, one might come back. If you go out and do this, this might be the way the house is ran. This might be the things you face. And the other thing is that you also have an enemy who marks us, opposes us, and is in opposition. Paul says all of this, that God is going to deliver him. And what does he say? To him be the glory forever and ever. And then he gives some final thoughts. He tells Timothy, greet Priscilla and Aquila, two of his faithful friends. He says, greet those in the house of one Sephorus. And he says in verse 20, and I want to just unpack this for a moment. He says, Erastus stayed in Corinth. But look at what he says next. Verse 20. I left Trophimus, what? Sick in my leaders. Wait a minute. The Apostle Paul who gave us the doctrine on healing and and spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, and we see it through 13, 14. You're saying that you left Trophimus sick? I've been part of communities where you don't even say someone is sick. James 5 says those who are sick lay hands on. Paul, Trophimus mustn't have been a believer. He mustn't have had faith. He mustn't have been filled with the Spirit. He needed to be lifted through a roof. No. What Paul is saying is that this guy didn't get healed. So many people are like, your leg's going to grow, all these things are happen. I get it. But listen, I believe as the kingdom is going forth, God will operate in the miraculous. I believe God is a healer. I believe God can do whatever he wants to do. Amen? But that verse said, Trophimus could not come because he was sick. He tells us that Timothy needed to drink a little wine because his stomach was bad. Paul himself says he was taken into the third heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, and said God didn't take this thorn in the flesh from him. Why am I saying this? Because so often we can gather and have these manifesting moments, and they are great. But the Bible says we don't follow signs. Signs follow those who believe. Amen. Trophimus was sick, and I don't know why he wasn't healed. Timothy struggled. Even Paul, guys, you've got to let the Bible speak for itself. We're talking about enduring in a final verse, then we'll pray. Verse 22, don't miss this. Final words of Paul, his final letter, his final ministry. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. You can read that and it's just a statement. But let me ask you, is the Lord with your spirit? What's tomorrow, Labor Day? Is the Lord with my spirit tomorrow? Do I spend time with him? Am I focused on him? Am I thinking of him? Or like Demas, am I out to lunch in the world? Am I distracted by all that's going on? Do I need to turn it down and listen to the Lord? In your life, all the things that you are holding on to, struggling with, is the Lord with your spirit? For my wife, for my son, for my two children, what is the one thing I want? That the Lord is with their spirit. Because that's it. I don't need you to own what Bill Gates owns or do what Elon Musk has done or accomplish this or not accomplish that and you're just super humble or bring world peace. No. Is the Lord with your spirit? Do you spend time with him? Do you make room for him? Do you fellowship with him? Guys, we are in a beautiful sweaty room with some ridiculous voices and worship praising the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Bible says in Colossians, all things are made by him, for him, through him. Exodus tells us, let my people go that they may what? Worship me. The woman with the issue of blood fell at his feet. It's called worship. Whatever you need is in this room, not because of us, but because the Lord is everywhere throughout the earth. Paul is writing to this beloved son, saying to Dakota, Eden, Jude, Tracy, whoever you are, the Lord be with your spirit. That's personal. Do you walk with Jesus? Have you made time for him? Have you been distracted? He says, grace be with you all. This is plural. That means it's to be read in the church like we just did. And so here we are doing our part, getting through these pretty intense verses. Amen. This dank prison. Never thought I'd be saying that coming to America. But how do we respond to this? What are you carrying that you were never meant to carry? Who do you need to forgive? 
have I wronged? Who has wronged me? Do I want reconciliation? Yes. Is there a Demas who's abandoned? Is there an Alexander? Is there something you are holding on to? And Paul says, no. I'm giving them to the Lord, not in hate, but God's got this. Learn to release it over to him. The Lord be with your spirit. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. God, I just thank you for this time, this room, the gift of music. Lord, evangelism will cease one day. Even the teaching of the word will cease one day. But worship never will. Worship will never stop. And Lord, we worship to give you glory, to give you praise. And I pray, Lord, even now in this room, have you heard about an older man who was about to be martyred? He literally dies sometime after this 2,000 years ago. But Paul, you're in glory with the Lord now. Whoever's in here today struggling with unforgiveness, they would release it. Whoever's in here today and maybe they say, I need to press in deeper with the Lord. Lord, would you minister to them? We have all been born into a world dead in sin and we do nothing to work towards it. But you died and rose again for this free gift of eternal life. Okay, let's just take a moment and just release any unforgiveness, any bitterness, any judgment. Let us say, Lord, would you just begin to minister to me? It's exciting in here. We're focused on you. This is like being in those tunnels in China, God, for seven hours praising you. But as we face the world this week, would you be with our spirit? Would we be thankful for a room such as this? Voices like this. But Lord, the testimony of Paul, the ministry of the word. And church, as we praise in a moment, as we lift him up, let's just release some stuff. And just give it over to the Lord. If you're here and God is speaking to your heart, you need to get right with him. You can do that right where you are. We can confess him as Lord. I know most of you. I know where most of you are. But Lord, we want to give you this time. We want to worship you. We want to praise in Jesus' name. Let's worship him, church. Guys, I hope that encouraged you. I'm sure that pricked on some of the strings of your heart, people you may need to go to or release or whatever might take place, even walking in the strength and trusting the law with whoever you are. Thanks for sharing these, letting people know, saying, hey, I heard this. This could speak to you, encourage you. That is why I even do this. I don't monetize these, get nothing out of it. I operate on full-on funding, raising support to people who believe in the traveling ministry I do or a lot of the council. This is just something else I do. So thank you for the prayers, the partnership. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Hit me up online, briansummer.net. God bless you all. Amen.